Uh, we are so glad you're here. Uh, my name is Daniel Kaznave. I'm the pastor here at the Bridge Church. And we're in a series through the book of Daniel, through the book of Daniel. And so today we're going to be in Daniel chapter 4, Daniel chapter 4. Uh, we're going to read a good portion of Daniel chapter 4 and kind of pick it apart to see what God has for us here today. Uh, but before we get started, I want to celebrate yesterday real quick. If you don't know, yesterday we had the fall festival. And during that fall festival, we had uh, over 35 volunteers help out with that. So thank you guys so much. Uh, that's pretty incredible. But also we saw um, registered 217 families come through the fall festival, which that's pretty incredible. We know that some didn't register. And so that's uh, an amazing feat. And thank you guys so much because every family that came through, they were greeted with a smile. And that's our hope is that, that every person in our community would see uh, God through us, through our actions and through those relationships that we're building through you as a volunteer. So thank you so much. Uh, we're just continuing to pray that God will use events like that to connect people to him because that's our mission. That's our vision to connect people to Jesus daily, not just on Sundays, but on Saturdays too, right, at, right here at campus, also at Book, Bookwater Place Park. And so all those pieces coming together. Uh, that's our hope and that's our goal. So, uh, But before we dive in, I want to pray for us, ask God to speak to our hearts here today, uh, because this book has been, well, I keep saying it's eye-opening, right? It's uh, all this amazing truth that we're getting. Uh, some of the stories are a little uh, different than maybe what we've heard before, uh, but this is an incredible book and I believe it's still relevant to us today. And so I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive right in. So let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much much for your truth. Thank you for each and every person that can hear the sound of my voice. God, I believe that they are here for a reason uh, on this Sunday, not by mistake, God, but I believe you're working inside of those details. God, I pray that I will decrease so that you may increase. I pray that you'll speak to our hearts here today, uh, that you will awaken our hearts, awaken our minds to our need for you, God. We love you and we ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe you guys have heard the famous story, uh, but in 1912, April 1912, 2,200 people set sail on this massive ship from uh, England headed to, or I'm sorry, yeah, from England headed to New York. And this amazing ship, maybe you've seen the movie about it, um, it's called Titanic, right? 2,200 people jumped on this ship. And it was a modern day during that time, almost miracle. This ship was massive. It was going to be the fastest, um, almost like carnival cruise line type ship. They even labeled this and they found the captain who was the captain of the millionaires. So because a lot of people who had a lot of money were very well off, uh, loved this particular captain. They set sail and most of us know the story by now. Uh, about halfway through their trip, they ran into an iceberg and their ship tragically sank. And multiple people lost their lives on that day. And we've seen uh, many historical reports about it. But but what I want to point out today is that there were multiple uh, things that came out about this particular ship. And as I was studying it and reading through it again, I, I found all this very intriguing uh, that uh, there were many statements made that not even God himself could sink this ship. Right? There were comments that this was the unsinkable ship because of the way it was made. And they were saying how fast that this ship. And they were going to make records, world records, all about through the uh, naval atmosphere uh, about this particular ship. Because they could carry so many people and it was going to get there so fast and it was going to be luxury. So it had it all. And so all of this, they set sail and there were multiple things that began to happen that should have happened. Uh, we see that uh, part of their nav system. 
system was not working and some of their wireless radios were not working and able to communicate to other boats. But they made the decision, we can still make it. We're going to still push through. Then the person who was uh, designated to sit in the crow's nest didn't even have his standard issue binoculars. And so he was just going off his blind regular vision and they were made aware of this. And they said, you know what, we're just going to keep pushing through. We can keep making it. We're going to keep going. And then uh, a ship that was in front of them radioed in and said, hey, uh, I've, I've walked kind of, we've been through the fog. Now there's all these different icebergs that are ahead. So you need to slow down or either change course. And so they decided we're going to change course a little bit. But we're trying to break this record. We're going to make news headlines. And we're going to full steam ahead, right? Ignoring all of those warnings. And of course, we read that tragically they came across an iceberg. And it hit just right on the boat where it started to fill up. And as it filled up from compartment to compartment to compartment, there was nothing else that they could do. Right At that point, it was too late to heed and see all the warnings that were right there in place. And uh, as we read Daniel chapter 4, as we think about that particular mindset, that's exactly where King Nebuchadnezzar is right here in Daniel chapter 4. We see in Daniel chapter 1, God comes out and he says, Hey, I need you to know who I am. I'm the sovereign God of the universe. I'm over even your kingdom, King Neb, right? And King Neb, he ignores the orders. And because he sees that Daniel, they make this certain diet that they're able to eat. And then in Daniel chapter 2, we see that Daniel interprets this amazing dream. And they're like, wow, this is incredible. And then in Daniel chapter 3, an even bigger, like just more eye-opening uh, miracle where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go into the fiery furnace and they come out unscathed, right? And King Nebuchadnezzar, again is shown that God is the king of the universe where he should be worshipped and he should turn from his ways, right? All of these pieces. Well, we get to Daniel chapter 4 and King Nebuchadnezzar. If you uh, like boxing, I'm going to say this is the final round between God and King Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe you grew up playing a Mike Tyson knockout on Nintendo, right? Like this is the final round from King Nebuchadnezzar as he's facing head up with God here in Daniel chapter 4. And Daniel is an interesting book because he is labeled as a major prophet, mainly because of the length of his book and how long those books are. There's minor prophets and major prophets. And uh, he's one of the major prophets here uh, because of his content, but also mainly because of the length of the book here. And some have labeled what we talked about even with the Titanic and what King Nebuchadnezzar is wrestling with here is, is he's wrestling with what some people have called and have labeled the great sin. The great sin. And that great sin is when we allow pride to begin to shape and mold and change our lives. And if you look at this, this is all the way back to when God not even created human beings, but when God created the heavenly beings, right? Because we see in the initial conversation, pride began to take over in this one particular uh, angel, Satan, right? And how he believed he should be God. He believed, I, you know what? I should be in charge. People should be following me right there at the very beginning, before the creation of human beings. And he's cast out of heaven because he doesn't recognize his need for God. And he's cast out. And now we know the story and how some of the angels, fallen angels, have fallen him now. And now he's an adversary against God because he believes he should be God. Can you imagine being there face to face with the creator of the universe and still believing that you should? Like how much pride, right, do you have to have to be face to face with God and still say, you know what? I should be God. 
Right? Like, I, I know more. And, but this is the situation that we have here. And then in Daniel chapter 4, we see this. And so today, I'm going to just kind of set it up. Is that okay? I kind of want to give you all the pieces of this. And then uh, we'll kind of work through the details. I want to talk about uh, what the root of pride, where the root of pride comes from. And then I want to talk about what are the, some of the fruits of pride that we can see in our lives, that I can see in my lives, maybe from time to time, that start to creep up. And then we're going to close it out with the cure. For pride, And we see all of this here in Daniel chapter 4. It's pretty riveting, so I need you to buckle in, lean in here a little bit. We're going to start here in Daniel chapter 4, verse 19. Everybody doing okay? Yeah? Anybody enjoying the Daniel series? I love the Daniel series. I love kind of working through this. And it's always a healthy thing as a church just to be able to open up God's Word and go, you know what? We're in Daniel chapter 4 today, right? Instead of just kind of picking every... We do that from time to time with topics, but it's also healthy just to open up and say, you know, we're going, to, we're going to study this whole book here together. So Daniel chapter 4, verse 19, it starts here with this. It says, Upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. The king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. And so for us to understand what Daniel is talking about here, we get to Daniel chapter 4, and King Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. This is a dream that's keeping him up at night. And of course, he's sitting here believing. He's like, you know what? I, I don't know what this means. I can't find the wise men. I need somebody to tell me what this dream means. Well, Daniel here in Daniel chapter 4, by this time, he's an old man. So at this time, he's kind of late in his years in life. And uh, we see all the way through uh, Daniel chapter 1, 2, and 3 that he keeps getting promoted up and up into the kingdom. And so uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's reminded that there is this man that he has promoted named Daniel and he's interpreted dreams before but there's years have been passed on from from the last dream that he had and so now here is Daniel coming to King Nebuchadnezzar and he has this dream about a tree and Daniel finds out what this dream means and he realizes it's not good for King Nebuchadnezzar and so uh, Daniel we see here he has a, a, a tension a battle here he's like King Nebuchadnezzar I don't know if I want to tell you what this dream means. Like, you, you don't understand what this dream means. So we're going to continue to read here. It says, Belteshazzar replied, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my Lord, and not to you. You know what I love about this? Is Daniel's in Babylon. He's taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar. And we see compassion that Daniel has compassion for King Nebuchadnezzar. After all that he's been through, right? I mean, he was taken captive by this ruler. He's working closely with him. But right here, he's saying, hey, I wish this would happen to your enemies and not to you, King Nebuchadnezzar. All these years we've been walking together, I've been advising you and advising your kingdom and all these pieces. And I just find that fascinating. At the heart of Daniel, was like, I, I wish this would happen to your enemies, not to you, right? And we see the compassion that he has. And then in verse 20, the tree you saw was growing very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade and the birds nested in its branches. That tree, your majesty, is you, for you have grown strong and great and your greatness reaches up to the heavens and your rule to the ends of the earth. Then you saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump and the roots in the ground bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. 
Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals in the field for seven periods of time. This is what the dream means, your majesty. And most of and what the Most High has declared will happen to my Lord, the King. You will be driven from human society and you will live in the fields with wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. We see this warning, right? Can you imagine being Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar? I mean, he could give him this decree of what is going to happen, and King Nebuchadnezzar could decide to kill him right there on the spot. How dare you say this about me? But Daniel has a track record. God has a track record of being true, right? His promises are true. And anytime, I would encourage you, anytime we're doubting God or we're wrestling through that, go back and read all the stories of how God is true and how he has fulfilled every promise, fulfilled every moment. Here in Daniel chapter 4, you're going to see him fulfill another promise that he speaks about. And as time and time again, we see the promises of God fulfilled by all these people in Scripture, how God uses them and so we see this. Now, you would think King Nebuchadnezzar would take this heed, take the track record of Daniel, of everything Daniel has interpreted has been true. And King Nebuchadnezzar will take a step back and go, you know what? You're right. People don't need to be worshiping that golden statue in Daniel chapter 3. I'm not a God. I'm not of deity. God is the one true God. You would think he would step back at this point, right? But we continue here in Daniel chapter 4, verse 28. But all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, God gave him twelve months. So he heard this warning, right? God is patient with us. And he gave him twelve months to reconsider his life, reconsider his position as king an emperor, right? Those who have the higher leadership positions, they're required, right? Required of much. And so we see this. He gives them 12 months to respond and say, you know what? You need to acknowledge me as the one true God and not allow that pride to drive you. 12 months later, he was taking a walk on a flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. As he looked out across the city, he said, look at this great city of Babylon, my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. While these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields of, with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass. And while you live this way, until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. That same hour, the judgment was fulfilled and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow and drenched with the dew of the heaven. And he lived this way until his hair was long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws, right? We see this picture here where God gives him a warning. He's like, hey, you got 12 months, right? 
And, and in this moment, King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't learn. And what does he say? He said, look at this kingdom. Ooh, look at this kingdom that I built. Look at all these buildings that I made. Look how smart I am. Look how great I am. I, look at what I have done. And God says, you know what? That's it. This is the final round, right? Like, I can't take it anymore. You cannot uh, take my name and run it through the mud, run it through the muck anymore. And God fulfills the promise that he gives him 12 months earlier from Daniel. And we see that he is cast out from heaven and, and, or cast out from the city and he starts to eat grass. And there's a couple of pieces here that we see happen with King Nebuchadnezzar that can, you and I can learn from, right? Because none of us are, um, uh, I guess, cautioned away or none of us are sectioned off from pride. Right? Because we live in a broken world. We still battle with our flesh. We battle with those prideful desires that can start to rear up in us. And if you were the enemy, and if pride was the great sin, what do you think you would come at God's people with? Right? You begin to whisper those things. Look, look, look. You don't need God. Look at what you've built. Look how hard you have worked. Look at all of this that you have. All of this that you built. Right? Because Satan knows. Because he was in that position too. And he realized the moment he was cast out of heaven. Oh, God has more power than I can have. But what I can do is I can derail God's people from living in their purpose. I can derail God's people from continuing to get this message out, right? And we see this begin to happen. So the root of pride, the root of pride, if you're taking notes here, is the failure to see that every good thing comes from heaven. We see this in James 1.17, that all good things come down from heaven. And we see, because King Nebuchadnezzar, that's the first thing he says. He's like, wow, look at this kingdom that I've built. Look at all of these things that I have done. And he didn't realize that God has allowed him to have that Influence. God has allowed him to have this leadership. God has allowed the doorways of opportunity to open for him to be able to do that. Because you and I may can go out and go, wow, I worked hard. I worked out. I ran every day. That's why I was able to accomplish that marathon, right? We could say that, but God gave us the health, right? Just like the song we sang, God gives us the air in our lungs. And another piece that we see here is the, the second piece of the root of pride is that we assume that the good season that we are in is going to last forever. Right? Because we can get in those seasons of success. We can get in those seasons of when it just feels like it's happening easy. Have you ever happened that before where you're just like, wow, this is, I can't believe this is happening. And then all of a sudden that seed will come into your mind of going, hey, look how good you are. Look, look at all those things you have done, right? And then we begin to think, right? We have the mindset of, of the Titanic of going, I can just keep pedal to the metal. I can keep pressing forward. I don't need God. Look at what I've done. Look at how I have accomplished all of this. And pride begins at the root, right? It starts with the thought, right? And as the thought begins to happen, it begins to produce fruits in us that are not what God has called us to do. So we have the root of pride. And then I want to point out some of the fruit that we see in Nebuchadnezzar and then other pieces of the Bible as well. So I have, uh, let's see, there, there's six of these here. Is everybody good? Am I doing all right? I just, I love God's word. It's so relevant for us today, right? And so we see some of the fruit here. The first fruit that I want to point out that we see here is over competitiveness. 
And it's even a, a, a root of envy. Look at this here, this quote. I love this quote. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more than the next man. Right? Like, my, my, we feel that. And tell, look, I'm not going to sugarcoat things. There's moments of me where I had to like, okay, am I, do I want this because it's what's best for me? Or is it because it's the next hill to conquer? Right? It's the next thing to chase after. And the enemy can whisper some of those. So the over-competitiveness that begins to happen in us. And I'll tell you, you want to see where it comes out in uh, full fruit fruition? Like, is that even a word? Fruit, full fruit? Anyway, tongue twister. You, you want to see where it comes out? Go to uh, rec sports. Right? Rec sports. All of a sudden, you got dads on the corner losing their minds, right? Because, oh, we have to win. We have to make this happen, right? Like, I didn't get that far, but you can make it that far. Come on, what's wrong? Right, right? All of a sudden, it happens. The over-competitiveness. I can feel it in me sometimes, too. And I have to take a step back and go, okay, God, it's not all about winning, right? It's not all about it. It's about the lessons that are learned in it and for it. But the over, because it, it can happen in work at work, too, right? Do I want the promotion just so that I could look around and say, ha, look at all these people under me. Look at all these people, right? Or is it because I want to give God glory for every step that I take? If I have more influence, then I can lead people closer to Christ. I can lead people closer to their purpose. And the next piece here that we see a, a fruit of pride is ingratitude. Where we can get to a state of mind where uh, gratitude leaves our mind, leaves our heart, right? And we see the opposite of that. That gratitude is an opportunity where you and I, when our heart is in the good place, where we wake up in the morning and we God, thank you for today. Thank you for life. You woke me up today. You gave me breath today, right? But then on the flip side, the, the uh, fruit of pride is ingratitude. Like, oh, here we go. Like, this is happening again. Like, all of a sudden, God, why why is this? Why me? All of these opportunities, right? Because ingratitude begins to, to rear up in us. And that's the fruit of pride trying to well up in us, right? Because it kind of, we see this ingratitude. And you can kind of see how some, a lot of these are connected. Because in, in my humble opinion, as we walk in our lives together, we see that ingratitude often is coupled with entitlement, Right? Because I deserve this. I should have had. Why do I need to be grateful? This was, should have been mine anyway, right? All of a sudden, the entitlement is connected to it, right? Of I didn't necessarily do all the work for it, but yet I deserve this. This is mine. God, come on. Can you help me with this? This isn't fair. This isn't right. And all of this mindset, right? The pride can start to show the fruit in us. And the next one here is over. Confidence and how you can see there's they're all coming from different branches, but overconfidence. I remember when I first moved here about five years ago, um, one of the uh, little side jobs that I had where it was doing Segway tours on Hilton Head Island. Segways are pretty awesome. If you don't know, it's like these uh, uh, these two wheel things that kind of balance electrically. And uh, they anyway, so you we would zoom around. You're pointing out things on Hilton Head. But I remember in the training they said, you know what? Because um, uh, I began to ask, like, do people fall on it? And they're like, yeah, sometimes. Uh, and I didn't realize that people fall all the time but uh and I was like who should I look out for should I look out people who aren't you know who can't keep their balance and they're like you know you know who you need to watch out for 18 to 30 year olds 
who are overconfident, right? Who will get on this thing and they think they are the fastest, best person they've ever been on a Segway. He's like, because they will run into other people. They're going to try to jump a ramp. They're going to like, all. they're going to try to do a wheelie. They're just overconfident, right? And I began to think about that. I was like, oh, you're probably right, right? Like I, I can sense those things, but it happens to us in life too. We get overconfident. No, full steam ahead. I got this. I don't need to run at the pace of God. I can run at my own pace, right? I, I'm not going to run out of gas. I'm not going to burn out. God, I got this. Let's just keep going, right? Over confidence. We begin to wrestle with that. And God is going, hang on, I want you to run at my pace. We also see this, how all of a sudden it's connected of self-will. Self-will begins to come out. And I believe this is pretty big for our day and time uh, because uh, I think it's a fruit of where people are not relying on God. So they realize I have to do something to uh, get better as a person. So self-help or self-will begins to become more prevalent. And I love this illustration for self-will or self-help is because as we read in the Bible, how in Proverbs, that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, right? And you and I, uh, we don't fear oxygen as in the actual uh, peace that we breathe in, right? Like I'm not scared of, the, of receiving that breath, but I am fearful if I don't have it, right? I'm aware, I respect oxygen because if I don't get it in my lungs... I don't survive, right? And I'm aware of my need for it, right? And with our relationship with God, we're aware of our need for God. We're aware of God. I, I can't do it all on my own. I'm broken. I, I'm still battling my own selfish desires. I'm battling the enemy coming after me, right? And the enemy wants to continue to whisper, no, 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 you got this. No, it's all on you. Yeah, you, you got this, right? And you and I, we can go for a little while. But isn't it heavy? Isn't it exhausting when you and I are carrying life and you and I feel like it's all on us? All the, all the stuff that has going on with the kids, it's on me. I got to pay the mortgage. It's all on me. At work, I got to take care of this. It's all on me, right? And it gets exhausting because you and I were never meant to carry that worship. We were meant to lay that at the feet of Jesus, right? We have the moment to say, God, I need you here in this moment. Here, the last one that I want to point out is uh, stinginess. And that's connected with exploitation. And how if we're stingy of going, this is mine. I worked hard for it, right? I'm building my kingdom. This is my kingdom that I'm building here on earth. And this is mine. I worked hard for it. I can't give this up, God. I can't give this. I'm, I'm holding on to it. And then I even exploit the people around me to build my kingdom up more, right? Even if I have to step on the people who are around me because it's that I'm trying to build my self-will. I'm trying to build my kingdom. And God is saying, hey, I want to give you something so much bigger to live for. I want to give you an opportunity that you know that you become a river and not a lake. That when I give you resources, it's an opportunity for you to bless those who are around you. And the Bible teaches it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, right? There's something that actually happens in us chemically because God created us that when we give, that that does trigger something in us where our brains receive this like 
dopamine hit where it creates this joy in us. And because that's how God created us. He wired all of us to live this way, to be a river and not a lake. And he is saying that the fruit of pride is when we start to feel things. I call it holding on tight, right? Like, God, I can't give that, right? God may nudge you to do something like, ah, no, this is mine, right? And when stinginess begins to build up, we can realize that's a fruit of pride that may be a piece that we're saying, you know what, God, I do need to surrender that to you. I do need to give that to you to, get, to allow you to work in my life. And then here, as we see uh, in King Nebuchadnezzar's life, we see that there's the root of pride, right? And then we see that there's fruits that come out of that root. And then, of course, you and I have the hope of glory of Christ that we get to lean on. And he gives us the cure for pride, the cure for pride. And we see this in King Nebuchadnezzar here in verse 34. Everybody still good? Verse 34, it says, After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshipped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting, and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, What do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought out. I was restored as the head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. What a declaration from King Nebuchadnezzar, right? This this Babylonian king who is following after his way. And all of a sudden, he has this moment where God humbles him. Most people believe it was about seven years, right? Because it was enough time to pass where his kingdom could be restored, where he wasn't too old and his hair, but it was long enough to where his hair was long. His fingernails got crazy long. Like it was a long enough time period for that to happen. Most believe about seven years. And he wrestled with this. But we see this in the New Testament. We see this same principle in James 4, 6. And it says, he gives grace generously as the scriptures say. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. You and I, the cure for pride, if you, if you, if you checked out or if you fell asleep or anything like that uh, through this whole message, I, I want you to zero in and get this one truth right here. The cure for pride is to awaken our need for God. The cure for pride is for you and I to be awakened to our need for God. Because Nebuchadnezzar, he kept looking out at his city and every warning, every heed that God gave him, every time God made himself known to Nebuchadnezzar, he looked the other way and he kept pointing to himself. I don't need God. Look at what we built. I don't need God. Look at all of this that has happened, right? But God says that he will humble those who exalt themselves and he will exalt those who walk in humility. And you and I have the opportunity to say, you know what? It's not about me, but it's about God. God. He is this declaration that he makes that he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is over all of kingdoms, right? And no kingdom can contain him from generation to generation. And you and I cannot stand up toe to toe and take God's glory, right? And God is saying, I want to be glorified. And you and I have an opportunity to play a role in God's incredible plan. And the cure 
for you and the cure for me is, is that humility. It's to recognize my need for God. And that can play out in multiple areas of our life. In the most simplistic form of I, I have to make time to, to grow closer to God. I have to make time to walk in community. I have to make all of these opportunities because of my need for God. I need presence with Him. I need Him to work in my life because there's fruits of pride. But then there's fruits of the Holy Spirit, right? There's fruits that God gives us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness, right? All of those fruits begin to happen when we lean into God's plan and what God has for us. When I recognize, you know what? I'm not chasing after this. I need God. And the closer I get to him, the more I walk with God, like Galatians 5, he begins to manifest that fruit inside of my life. He begins to produce all of these things in me and through me. And there's something, I call it the thrill and the satisfaction of obedience. There's something about walking in obedience and walking with God where you're, you could be in the busiest time of your life, but your soul feels at rest. You're just like, oh, I'm walking with God. I know he is with me. I'm walking in his will. And I have this satisfaction because I've walked outside of it before. And when my head hit the pillow at night, I was like, God, this can't be it. There's still a void in me. And it's that opportunity to realize walking with God and walking without God. There's fulfillment. There is hope, right? John 10, 10, he says that I have come to give life and to give it abundantly. And that word abundantly means fulfilling that, that need in our life that I have. I'm awakened to this need. And so as I pray, uh, Jacob and the team, they're going to come up and they're getting ready to sing this song. And just how God works, um, they changed the song last minute. And it is the perfect song to end with here in the declaration before God. And because you and I, my prayer as we hear this message today, no matter where we're at in our lives, I hope that we are just continue to be awakened to our need for God in every aspect of our life. It could be, God, I'm getting ready to go to school. I'm walking with my friends. I need you as I head into school. I need your wisdom as I'm walking with my friends, right? It could be in our marriage. God, I, I can't figure this whole thing out by myself. I need your direction. I need your wisdom, God, right? It could be at work. It could be uh, with uh, parenting. Whatever it may be, you and I have an opportunity. But maybe um, as we were reading through some of the fruits of pride, the Holy Spirit began to nudge you. Because the Holy Spirit's good. And He's loving. And He doesn't want us to begin to be taken captive by the pride that may be festering in our lives. And He's saying, you know what? I want you to cut that off. Recognize your need for me in that situation. Maybe it's over-competitiveness. Maybe it's uh, the envy. Maybe it, whatever those pieces may be for you and I. You say, you know what? That's me, God. I need, I'm, God, I'm giving you this, and I need you to show me wisdom and direction. I need you in this moment, God. And as we surrender our need for him, we allow him, and we begin to see him do a mighty work in us and through us. We begin to take his direction, take his wisdom through all of these different pieces as we walk in obedience to God. So let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. God, I pray that the Holy Spirit will begin to speak 
to us. Give us uh, declaration. Give us uh, wisdom and illumination, God, to maybe some pieces of pride inside of our lives. And I pray, God, that we can take this moment today and say, God, I need you to take this from my life. I, I pray, God, that you would begin to teach us and restore those things in us. And I pray that you, we leave out of this place today with a deep desire, knowing that we need you, God. And we start to reposition our lives for your wisdom, God, for your direction. God, that we position ourselves to hear from you, that we can quiet the noise in some seasons of our life, God, because we need you, God. God, we don't want to take the credit for what you're doing in our lives or for what's going on in the world around us. God, we want to give you all the glory. God, I pray that you attune our hearts so that we can make a declaration like King Nebuchadnezzar that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, God. And that that would be the declaration of our lives and our heart because we're pursuing after you. We ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Let's stand and worship. Thank you for tuning in to the Bridge Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more information about our church, you can simply visit our website at thebridgebluffton.com. Have a blessed day.